Okay, so Romans, we are three-fourths of the way through the book of Romans. We got through 9 and 11, now we're 9 through 11, now we're in Romans 12, and Romans 12 is the, the therefore, right? Now that you know all this beautiful, wonderful, gracious, merciful things that God has given you and that he's faithful to Israel, he has not forgotten about them, now let's apply what to do, right? We learned out what we have and what right doctrine is, now we're going to go to right conduct. And so we're going to see God's righteousness work through us. That's our goal, is to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice so that God's righteousness now works through us, right? And we talked last week about gifts. And remember, gifts are not to you, they're through you, right? They're, the, they're meant to be encouragement, they're meant to teach, they're meant to guide, they're meant to help, they're meant to grow, unite, harmonize the body of Christ. And everybody has a gift. Everybody has at least one gift. Not everybody has all the gifts, and we all don't have the same gift, right? So just as Paul gave the illustration about being members of one body, you know, when you think of members, you think of the different parts. Head, eyes, ears, you know, nose, shoulders, toes, or however that song goes. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> um, and so we were, we were talking about what our conduct should be. First is to present yourself, make that dedication, dedicate yourself, consummate yourself. Say, in, in light of God giving me this mercy and grace, I, my reasonable response is to present my body as a living and holy sacrifice, right, to him, so that his righteousness can work through me, right? We're, we're daily being sanctified by him, we are sanctified by faith that he's doing it. We don't continue in sanctification by following the law of Moses, right? However, we're also aware that there's a law of Christ, per se, right? That there is a do and do nots. And in fact, we went over some of the do's and do nots. Um, and that was your conduct, right? And, and humility, your foundational uh, attitude towards receiving all the mercies and blessings of God is humility, right? So don't think of yourself too highly because God has given you everything, including spiritual gifts. Um, but instead, do these things, right? And so we kind of went over the, our attitude and humility, and then um, our conduct is where our next part is, the conduct and love, and that's where I think we left off, right? We went over some spiritual gifts, um, and so that's not all of the spiritual gifts, but Paul is just giving an example and illustrations of when you are using your gifts, do it in such a manner, right? That's what we talked about last week. So then the third part of applying con the conduct, the right conduct to our lives is our conduct in love. And we're going to break that down into two parts, which is to those within the church and to those with outside of the church. Yeah? Any, any thoughts so far? Or back up, we didn't really have a whole lot of time last week. Um, so where we are today is verses 9. We're going to cover 9 through 16 as far as our, those within the church. And so what we'll, what we'll do is uh, if someone would read actually 9 through 16, all of it, then I'll just go back and kind of touch on each part of it. Um, so again, this is our conduct as a result of having God's righteousness in us. There are some of these do's, right? Do these things. Don't do those things. 
And that's the mindset that we need to have. Remember we talked about don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the idea is that, does anybody remember the idea that you need to be what? Kind of re reprogrammed, right? That you're programmed and wired by this pagan world and you actually need to be reprogrammed. How are you reprogrammed? By knowing God's word, right? God's word is the reprogramming of your mind. And so by reprogramming our mind, we're going to do these things. It gives us the understanding to do these things, but they are the do's, right? Or the do nots in the sense that there is a law of Christ uh, guiding us, directing us, putting boundaries on us so that we are living in righteousness, right? So if someone would read verses 9 through 16, then we'll go back through each, each one. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, and outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Okay, so we see some commands, right? We see the same type of idea that do these things. So the very first is 9a, let love be genuine. That term for love is agape love, right? And it, it, agape refers not to feeling or emotion, but to your will, right? You're willing, you're intending yourself to be genuine in your love to one another. So the context is this is how we treat one another within the church. So an agape love, a willful love, is supposed to be a genuine, sincere love, not just because a smile, you know, a happy, smiley face, but a, not a facade, but an actual genuine love. And you do that by willing it, right? We often talk about how our emotions will follow. We can follow either our emotions or we can follow our will, right? Our emotions will follow our will or our will will follow our emotions, right? So. If you start with emotions, often the problem with emotions is they're emotional. Right? They, they, they're not very reliable, right? They can, they can be, you know, I wake up in the morning and I feel great. What a great night of sleep. And then I get up and I stub my toe. All of a sudden, my emotions have changed like that, right? You know, and then I go have a nice cup of coffee. I feel a little better. And then I go outside and it's cold. I got or whatever, you know. So all these things change. But my will is to say... I'm going to praise the Lord no matter what the day is. I've learned to be content in all things, like Paul says, right? So then your emotions follow, no matter if you stub your toe or it's cold outside or whatever. You're content, right? So we want to follow our will and, and guide our will and have our emotions follow. Okay, second is 9b, abhor what is evil. So abhor, just utterly detest evil. We, we must recognize what sin is. We need to be sensitive to what sin is by being sensitive and, and think the way God thinks about sin, right? Sin is missing God's righteousness. Anything outside of his perfect righteousness is sin. So we should be disgusted with our own sin and other sin we should be disgusted with. Our, our love should 
hate sin. Do we see that, that sort of dichotomy there, right? Our love should hate sin. 9C, hold fast to what is good. Um, and we, we know from, uh, was it Thessalonians um, or Philippians 4, right? Think on the things that are good, the things that are honorable, the things that are noble, the things that are right. Do those things. Hold fast to what is good. Anything in, from that verse, we know that anything intrinsically good or inherently good comes from where? comes from God, right? It comes from God. So we're to be glued, right? Like glued to those things or hold fast to those things that are good because it comes from God. And that can be many, many things. It's not just scripture, but a, a beautiful piece of art or wonderful sounding music or hymns or thing, things that are of high quality of good value that give honor and glory to man, uh, God's creation in man. Yeah? Good. Okay. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly love. So here we see Philadelphia, right? The word Philadelphia for the word love. He didn't use agape, which is the will, but Philadelphia, which means brotherly love, right? So how are we to love one another in the church? With brotherly love, with a family love, right? We're to be tender loving to one another within the church, that we're to treat each other as a family, in fact, Christ talks about how we will, we will maybe lose parts of our family, right? That our, our, who is my mother, who is my father? He says it's actually you, the believers, who are closer to family than family, right? So we are to think of our, our fellow members of the body as a family. 10b, outdo one another in showing honor. So you give honor to something, right? You're the, the honor is kind of in the eye of the beholder. If you determine that thing to be honorable, and so you want to see another believer as an honorable believer, and so you give honor to that person, right? You want to outdo one another in showing honor, right? So we should, we should have this idea of surpassing or outdoing one another and giving preference to the other in honor, not trying to get honor, or to get something, but to give honor, to be to put them in an exalted position above yourself. Um, so in Galatians 6:10, we've talked about before, Paul, Paul points out that we're we're to be good to all men, right? All people, but especially to the household of God, right? So he actually puts a preference of being good to the church, to the body of believers, over those who are not the body of believers, right? That's in Galatians 6.10. I'll, I'll read it. It says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us work that which is good toward all men, and especially toward them that are of the household of the faith. That's Galatians 6.10. So if we're going to have a preference, prefer the brother or sister in Christ in church, right? For a, a, a church. That might be contrary because we think, oh, they're fine. They're going to be good. Um, and we need to be a good witness to unbelievers, but scripture is telling us, no, put the preference to the believer above the unbeliever, if you have to make that choice, right? And there will be, there's times when you will have to make that choice. But the Bible teaches that we should choose the believer over the unbeliever, if you have to. Okay, 6, 11a, do not be slothful in zeal, right? So we're not to become, so 
when we're, because we have the mercies, because we have the blessings, because we have the graces of God and the spiritual gifts of God, we're not to lose our zeal that we get from knowing that, right? That no, remember we talked about how Paul condemned the Jews because they had a zeal for God, but they lack knowledge, right? Lack knowledge in Christ, the person of Christ. God's provision for them was his son to, to, to redeem them, right? Well, they had a zeal. They knew God loved them and was caring for them, but they didn't have the knowledge of God's provision. Well, Paul is, Paul is telling us now to not be slothful in zeal to, or to lose that zeal. Don't, don't lag behind. Don't get lazy in your zeal. Um, so this, there's, a, there's a contrast and a comparison. The zeal that the Jews had were good because they were for God, but they were just lacking in knowledge. Paul is telling you, well, you, have a, you should have a zeal for God because you have a good knowledge of the truth, right? You have a good knowledge of Christ. So don't become lazy in your zeal. Zeal without knowledge is not good zeal, right? So we shouldn't lose um, excitement or fervor or zeal for the things of the Lord because we have the knowledge of God's provision through us, right? In Jesus Christ. Um, yeah? Okay, 11b, be fervent in spirit. So fervent, the Greek word means literally to boil, right? Or to be hot. Um, a fervent person is compassionate, right? Extremely compassionate or passionate and committed to something. So we should continue to make sure that we're fully submitting ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit, right? Presenting our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice we want to be committed to that process, the process of sanctification with, with zeal, with fervency, with, with an idea of, of passion, right? Like, this is the most important thing in my life is to give myself to the Lord for the sanctification process. We see how that goes with zeal, right? Or not, not be slothful in zeal, but maintain that idea. Maintain the, the presenting your bodies. Paul in Galatians 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ. So you have to constantly remind yourself that you have been crucified with Christ. There's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? So you're, you maintain that passion. You maintain that zeal to remind yourself that you are no longer. Your old nature is no longer. There's nothing of value to you or your old nature. So consistently and constantly think on the good things, the, 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 uh, the mercies of God, the blessings of God, uh, the loving of one another. Constantly be in that, that thought process. And so uh, 11C is then serving the Lord. That's how you serve the Lord, right? When you have that zeal, that passion, that commitment, you serve the Lord because you're voluntarily giving up your sense of will, right? Your right to self-control or self-government. Um, so instead of serving yourself, which is what our old flesh did, it's, it served itself, we are to serve the Lord. And especially in the context of this whole chapter is the spiritual gifts aspect, right? We're, to, we're given a gift of God through us to others, so we should be fervent in doing those things and, 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 and helping one another to, to go through this life, right? And encourage him to be sanctified in the process as well. Uh, the 12a is rejoicing in hope. We're to continuously rejoice in the hope that we have. Um, and if we are rejoicing in hope, 
if we are serving the Lord, if we are fervent in spirit, if we are not slothful in zeal, if we're outdoing one another in honor, if we're loving one another with brotherly, brotherly affection, we're hating what is evil, and our love is genuine, then we will do 12, which is be patient in tribulation, right? If we're doing those things, the result will happen. We will be patient in tribulation. So when we face pressure, afflicted and in a distress, we will endure it with patience, right? So endure it with patience. Um, flip to Romans 5, if you would, 5, 3, and 4. As a reminder, we'll talk about what actually tribulation does for us. Since our mindset is humility, our foundation and our attitude of approaching life is humility, tribulation that comes, since all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, tribulation, how should we view tribulation? Oh, I was, yeah, was going to say, they could read it too. <laughs> okay, so if someone would read three, uh, Romans 5, 3, and 4. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character. Do you want proven character? I do. I don't want suffering, but I want proven character, right? But that's, a, that's the wrong attitude to have. The right attitude to have is say, in order for me to have proven character, suffering, I must suffer. I can't expect to play good basketball or good baseball without training, without practicing, without having to go through the trials and all those things. And, and so doing the things that Paul is telling us to do under the law of Christ, be patient tribulation because tribulation gives you ultimately what you want. You want to have the abundant life. The abundant life is found from the river of life, the, get the, the bread of life, right? The water of life in you. And so that abundant life comes from him having to clean you out and, and rescue you from all your junk, right? And so we want character. We want proven character. We want endurance. We want patience. We want long-suffering. I want all those things. And so I need to do, have the right attitude of humility and being patient and knowing that they all work together for God's love in me, right? Good. Okay, 12C, be constant in prayer, right? We're to be devoted to prayer. We know that our... When you're in prayer, are you distressed generally? Are you depressed? Are you worried? You're generally going to have peace, right? When you're in prayer, when you, when you give the things that are troubling you and, and sacrifice or are suffering to you, you're going to have more hope. You're going to have more joy. You're going to have. You're going to be rejoicing in prayer because there's God who handles those things. You know, I always kind of giggle at the people who just meditate like nothing. You know, they do the cross legs and whole, I'm like, well, what, what, what are you expecting to happen? There's nobody there, right? It's just air. What are you doing? In prayer, there's somebody there. He hears you. He he wants the good for you. We've already. Paul has already proven to you that nothing can separate you from the love of God, right? Nothing. That should make you, like, joyful. And so when you go to him in prayer, you have an intercessor. You have somebody who's hearing you. You have somebody who wants the best for you. You have somebody who's loving you. When you do the whatever the thing is, what do you do? What is, what is that? It's, it's, it's silly. But we have a person 
on the other end of the phone, right, the telephone to God, which is right at hand, right, it's not far away, it's not up above, it's not down below, it's at hand, you don't even need a telephone, you just talk to him right, like he's right here, right, so, okay, so 13, which is 12, there's, there's 19 of these things, um, 12 is contribute to the needs of the saints, that's verse 13a, so again, we're to fellowship and contribute to the needs of our brothers and sisters, right? Um, we are to, they're, they're fellow partakers in this whole thing. Um, so we should participate in their needs. Uh, uh, then 13b is seek to show hospitality. So let's, let's unpack that for a second. It says, does hospitality come first or does it tell you to seek to show hospitality, right? So what is it telling you? Go find ways to be hospitable, not wait for it to come to you. Go find ways to be hospitable to brothers and sisters. Seek to show it, right? And I, I, I'll, I'll tell you a, a personal story. When I had heart, heart surgery, you know, I was always a young person and I always went and helped other people. I didn't need help. Well, at that time, boy, did I really need help. I didn't realize how bad I needed help. And it humbled me, my pride, to accept help from other people. Other people sought to show hospitality to me. It was an opportunity for the, I realized it was an opportunity for other people to show that they cared about me, which was really humbling for me. And so oftentimes I wanna show that I care about other people, but I don't give opportunities for somebody else to show that they care, right? So hospitality is a way to show love to one another. So seek to show hospitality, right? And I said along those lines too, if you're um, more of that mindset of, uh, you know, not needing any help um, and refusing people that want to help you, like, can I get bring over a meal? Mm -hmm. No, I'm fine. You know, I can, you know, we got Uber. You know, there's such love that's put into making a meal. Mm -hmm. Or um, for people that are givers, that's their love language. And when you reject that, no matter if it's like, oh, well, I'll come over, you know, you're hurt or injured, and I'll come over and mow your grass. No, that's okay. You know, I'll, you know, I don't mind if you worry, please. You're, you're uh, suppressing somebody's gift to you. Yeah. 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 Still. It does. And like you said, we have live in a, a, a culture where technology can do so many things for you that you can literally live by yourself and not have anybody around because you can just call her and all those things so but in in the context of of uh of our body of believers we're we don't we have we've had this technology you know since the beginning <laughs> six thousand years ago right so so seek to show hospitality hebrews 13 2 actually gives us an interesting aspect to that hebrews 13 2 says do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have what? Anybody? Entertain angels, right? You're like, wait a second, wait a second, that's pretty strange. So do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for that for thereby some have entertained angels without even knowing it, right? 
You might have blessed somebody that was an angel and didn't even know it. So seek to show hospitality. Um, okay, the 14th one is verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So blessing should be a habit in our life, right? We, we develop the habit by blessing others. This is also a principle in 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. And I'll read that, 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. It says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. All right. So each time we're spoken against or we have an adversary or an enemy or opposed, what should our response be? Bless, bless them, right? Bless them. Um, we should repay them with blessing. And we're going to talk about how, you know, the hot coals and all that part of that. Um, so, verse 15, A, rejoice with those who rejoice, right? We are to identify with those who have something to be happy about. And what do we think the next verse is? <laughs> weep with those who weep right so we are to be fluid with our our brothers and sisters some are going to because some are going to be rejoicing and some are going to be weeping right that's the beauty of life is that i rejoice and i also weep in the same uh, in the same week maybe you know so we we can identify with one another uh, by loving and putting them above ourselves so by doing that we 17, live in harmony with one another. That's 16, verse 16a. So harmony, right, is the same heart, the same mind, the same purpose, the same identification, right? We're all one in the Lord. So we are, and, and if you've ever traveled outside of, you know, the United States and you meet another believer, it's like an exciting thing, right? Like it's, it's there's a sense of trust, there's a sense of peace, there's a sense of joy, and it's an instant you know, friendship. And I've said it before, I met somebody for no time. I say, well, I'll see you again later, you know, knowing I'll never see them on earth, but I'm going to see them in heaven, you know, and that's kind of a nice, a nice thing for sure. So we are to be in, live in harmony with one another. And then 16b, do not be haughty. Obviously, right? We don't want to be arrogant or think in a superior way over others. You can't be haughty and put the love of others in front of you in front of it right you you can't be both you have to put if you put others in front of you or above you you're not going to be haughty towards them so don't don't do that um so being haughty would hinder achieving that right so don't do that and then 19th is verse 16c but rather or but associate with the lowly never be wise in your own sight um so a lowly person doesn't mean like just homeless or something. It just means someone depends on God, right? Rather than themselves, right? We're to associate with all, with the lowly, right? Um, those who are in a humble state per se. It could not to say it doesn't mean homeless. It doesn't mean that, but it isn't just those who are less financially, uh, you know, stable than you. It means lowly in the sense that they are humble. They are most, the most likely the best of us, right? The humble, lowly ones who rely on God for all things. As a result, we wouldn't hold ourselves or be wise in our own thinking, our wise estimations. Like, you know, we, we do I have a, a bigger house or do I have a better job or do I make more money or whatever. We start thinking these like 
what do you call it, um, tick marks or whatever, something that says, how am I better or worse? And, you know, we, we relay ourselves, we, we compare ourselves to one another. Don't do that, is what he's saying. Be, in fact, you should be lowly. If you're lowly, let, other, let others have that issue. But if you're lowly, you're not thinking about it. You're not estimating your value or your societal part to this, right? Are you, are you kind of following that? Yeah. Um, so class or distinctions of any type, any type, right, um, shouldn't mess with our own thinking. Okay, so those are the 19 things that we should do um, for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So to those within the church, and then B is going to be to those outside of the church. And that covers uh, 17 through 21 of chapter 12. Um, he's going to give six, six exhortations or six encouragements. Did anybody have any comments about the nine, other 19 things? Pretty Pretty clear. I was say on the rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Um, yeah, there are appropriate times because I don't know if you've ever been around like, someone that's really having a hard time or maybe someone that just died. Or the last thing they need is someone saying, oh, praise God, they're in heaven. It just like doesn't fit, you know. Yeah. And so it's great to be up and rejoicing all the time, but you also got to know when to tone it down and yeah. weep with those who weep as well. Yeah. And, and, What's, what is the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept, right? Jesus wept. We have a, he is our example on this earth, and he was saddened when, La, when they were crying over Lazarus dying. He was very saddened, right? And he wept. Um, and so we, we would do well to, obviously, WWJD. <laughs> what would Jesus do? And he wept at times. And he, he you know, so definitely being, uh, you know, we, we, I think we put a term called emotional maturity or emotional under what I don't know something where you're aware of what's going on you're understanding the sympathies of the person what's bothering not, not necessarily what's bothering but that they are bothered the what's bothering isn't all that important as to they are bothered and how can I help them to be encouraged to show love to them to you know to, to be a loving person to them so very good good Matt one other just observation is like when I see a list like this it reminds me that this is not a like pick the ones I like list but I have you know God's given me strengths and weaknesses and this is the kind of thing that I, I get to remember that life is a journey and I can see things and identify things on this list that I'm good at and things that I'm not good at yeah. and say it's okay it's okay to be where I am right now, but I shouldn't still be here 20 years from now. Right. And so like, I, I can identify things on the list just in my life experience, like seek, or seek to show hospitality. And then uh, uh, there, there was one, I don't know where it is right now, but it really jumped out at me. Um, I grew up in a fairly low income environment. And so, we went to other people's houses and hung out with my parents' friends at their houses. No one ever came to ours because mm -hmm. we were the lower income of our things. So our house was the smallest, the youngest, whatever. Um, and so I, in my mid-20s, realized, like, I don't know how to do hospitality. I know how to go, be a part of things, but I don't know what it's like to invite people in. And then as I was going through some life 
changed. I did it a couple times and it's like, hey, I like this. I like doing this. This is actually something I'm good at and have a skill at, but I didn't ever experience it through my family of origin. So then I had to grow into how to even embrace this part of my personality and, and, and whatever. And then the same, there was, there was something broken in my father emotionally that when people got sick, he would just kind of like <laughs> vanish from friendship. And then when they were healthy again, he'd be back in friendship, but like never visit anybody in the hospital, never whatever until like, it was like a, a weird thing. But coming out of that, like, I, again, same thing, I'm in my twenties and I, we don't ever visit people. We don't ever, when they're like, we just, and like, that's what I had known, but that's not what we're called to. And so then I have to then learn a new way. And so I, I see life in Christ as a life of progression. And I should be able to look at a list like this at any point in life and say, okay, I can look at this list. I can see where I am now, what I'm good at, and see what is God putting on me that he wants me to grow into. Yeah. Yeah, You, God seems to create opportunities for you to use your weaknesses right where your weakest is usually where he wants to work in you like patience right what is it if you want patience don't ask for it right because it's going to come right don't pray don't pray for patience because you're going to get tested right away so yeah. i want patience and i want it now yeah give me my patience right now <laughs> okay 17 through 21 um, again, so there's six exhortations, so we'll do the same thing. If someone reads 17 through 21, and we'll just go back. If that's working for everybody, I assume that's the best way. Go ahead. 17 to 21, if you read that. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Um, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, so now we're talking about unbelievers, right? Our conduct towards those that are outside of the church. Um, repay no one evil for evil. You know, uh, maybe some believers think that, well, they're unbelievers, who cares? You know, yeah. so I can, I can treat believers in with a loving way, but if <coughs> someone's showing evil to me that's not a believer, well, by golly, I'm not going to let them run over me. You know, I'm going to go back and repay the evil that they had with me. But Paul says, no, don't do that. Um, that's not true. That's not, you never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Rather, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, right? So give thought isn't just reactionary, right? It's actually pro, uh, um, what do you say, proactive, right? You're thinking about giving honor beforehand. You're not just reacting. You're thinking about giving, give thought to do what is honorable. So you want to be thinking about being honorable to the unbeliever before anything happens, right? In the sight of all, right? So we're to act ahead, right? Appropriately in God's will to do what is the noble and honorable thing. So we are to premeditate, pre-think about our 
uh, how we, our attitude is towards unbeliever, and we want to do it in an honorable and noble way. So deliberately respect what is right in the sight of all men, right? Um, and what is right is God's way, God's truth, God's word. But we are to think ahead of the unbelievers, of the relationship with the unbeliever about doing what is right and noble. Yeah? Okay, verse 18, if possible, right? We know we're talking to unbelievers. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, right? Peace is a mutual relationship. It requires both parties to be at peace, right? And it can be broken by one or the other person, right? But as a believer, should you be the one who breaks the peace? No, you should be the one who maintains the peace, right? Um, we should actively strive to maintain peace with everybody, with all people. Because um, we're, we're to pursue the conduct of love, right, that will positively impact those around us. So, but because peace is a mutual relationship, Paul says, if possible, right, knowing that it may not, that other person may not want to pursue peace, but don't let that person be you, you know, it, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Um, we live in a conflicted world. We have conflicted ideas, conflicted issues. So the world we live in is opposed to Christ. If you choose to live for Christ and have Christ dwell in you and live through you, you are going to have tribulate. You're going to have persecutions. You're going to have struggle. So you're not going to be able to be at peace. But as far as it depends on you, never break that peace. Yeah? Verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Right? So we, in 17a, he tells us that don't repay evil for evil, and so now he goes a step further and warned against taking revenge. Right? Revenge is repaying the evil for evil, doing a similar, you know, like a similar thing. Um, but avenging carries the idea of taking the judgment into our hands. It's more than just doing this like for like. It's taking the judgment of, our, of that person into our own hands, right? Um, and we're also given a promise, though, that God is just, and God's just will repay the unjust, right? He, vengeance is his. Vengeance is that judgment of wrongdoing, of evil. And who holds the power to judge? Jesus Christ holds the power to judge. He will judge. You know, we want, we want justice now, we say, but do you really want justice now? Do you really want God's justice now? Because God's justice is wrathful. God's ju judgment and justice is awful. It's terrible. It's horrendous because it's exposing the evil for what it is. So justice is something that we let the Lord handle, right? True justice is something we let the Lord handle. You know, God is full of awe, right? He is awe-full. Like, it's full of awe. And the awe isn't just like, you know, a bunch of bouquet of flowers. It's, it's awe-inspiring. It's terrifying. So the God of, of justice is the same God of love, and he can't, he's equally loving as he is equally just. And you can't have love without justice, and you can't have justice without love, right? They're, they go perfectly in harmony with one another. Okay, so don't avenge yourselves, leave it to God, 
Rather, verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Right? Um, that's actually from Proverbs, uh, a proverb, Proverbs 25, verses 21 through 22. And I'll just say that, I'll read it. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Can we see how that verse could be misinterpreted in a way? Right? What do you think our attitude sh would be? Meaning, maybe I'll pose a question. I sometimes I ask these questions. <laughs> but if, if we're to love one another, we're to show honor to one another, are we actually intending our conscience and our mind and our will for the unbeliever to heap burning coals on his head? Right? To destroy that person, destruct him, you know, destruct him? Or what do you think is the intention of that? By doing good to him, what do you think you're hoping to get? Lead him to Christ. Lead him to Christ. Some, some kind of what? Change. Change. Change, right? Change can come by, if, you, if he's done bad, he or she's done bad to you, and you do good, hopefully that person does what? Feels... Okay. So I'm thinking of repentance, a, a reconciliation. Yeah. Peace. Right. God's kindness leads us to repentance. So when, when that, I can say it for myself, when I am mean to somebody and somebody is nice to me, I feel shame. Like, right. oh gosh, you know, what an idiot I am, you know, or what foolish I am. So our intention is not that they would destroy this person by heaping a whole bunch of fire and coals on their head and they would burn in hell forever, right? No, that's not it. Our idea is by doing good, shame is a motivator, right? Shame motivates people to reassess, to look at their own lives and look at what a jerk I was or what a terrible person I did, right? So that's what I'm, the misinterpretation could be that if a believer has en an enemy, you know, you will condemn him even deeper into the pits of hell, right? So you're doing these good things really with the intention of, you know, avenging them in the long term. Yes, sir. Yeah, also, if you go to Proverbs, the last part of it, and the Lord will reward you. So that wasn't necessarily quoted in what we read. So there's motivation there to do it. If you like reward from the Lord, it's. Yes, <laughs> yes. You're not, you're, not at, you're not pleading with the Lord to put extra fire in hell for that person, right? <laughs> By doing your plea, your, your intention is to, is to, you know, I don't want to say shame them per se, but show that there's a better way so that they feel shame for what they did, right? It's not that you're shaming them, it's that they recognize that what they did was shameful, they did a shameful thing, let me repent, let me change my mind about that, and it leads to uh, uh, harmony, right? It leads to unity, back that way. But this is referring to people outside the church which mm -hmm. are unbelievers. Mm -hmm. And so their response as an unbeliever would be that they would have that they have these heaping coals on their these burning coals on there because that's how they're going to react because they don't have that sense of wanting to repent. And, and that's their reaction to a, a believer being good to them, return good for the evil that they did to you. That's what's going to happen in their mind. But the Lord will reward you for, for your goodness. 
your genuine goodness wanting to be given towards the person doing evil to you. Well, I think that's your intention, right? If you're if if an unbeliever isn't isn't dumb, they, if you if they recognize that you're in really doing these things to make them feel bad, they're not they're well, going to well, recognize it. The intention is not to make them feel bad, but that's going to be their own react. That that's what will happen in their mind. It could be. I mean, it, it, you're right. It could be, but that's not that's not on you, right? It's on no, on them. And and oftentimes you're you're right. When someone gets caught in a bad deed, generally their first response is to blame something else, right? Blame another reason or somebody else. And so it, it takes some light to shed on the situation, but generally they you know they they don't take responsibility right and first foremost. Um, but our, our intention, as far as dealing with unbelievers, is to do good to them for the purpose of correcting it, yeah. right? Meaning we're not there to punish. We're, hope, we're providing an opportunity for them to correct it, right? Basically, we're providing them to feel the shame, see the situation, and, you know, who knows what will happen. It is out of our hands at that point, but we are to love. And like, we, like Paul said before, we're, we're to if possible, in any way that we can, be at peace with them. So, of course, obviously this all works together. You don't repay evil for evil. You don't avenge them. When somebody does bad to them, you do good for them because you're trying to maintain peace, trying to maintain an honorable thing, right? But you're right. We can't, we, this does not guarantee a change, for sure, by the other person. But that, the context of that verse is such as you're helping them to correct that thinking and that behavior by you doing good, not not condemning them to hell even further, right? right? That's all I'm saying. It's your heart that's telling, you know, your heart intention should be that way. Uh, one, one little quick thing. Uh, it reminds me of, uh, there's like three things. I, one of my past jobs is pretty toxic. And my guys that were under, underneath me saw what was happening, wanted to retaliate against the people that were trying to, if, if you will, destroy my career. Yeah. And I said, nope. Don't add, you know, take the, take the wind out of the cell. We're going to not add fuel to the fire. We're going to kill them with kindness. It didn't, it didn't ever change the person that was after me, but it changed my staff. Yeah. And my staff still says that. And they, and they still, that person now is trying to put the, the person I would put to replace me. And I would tell them to do better things. Now, what the same person is trying to do to them, they're still acting that same way. And so everybody around, all the upper management, people like that, see what these guys have done and are praising them and now these the people that were causing the problems are now they've been brought to attention yeah so it may not be affecting that person that you're dealing with it could affect others and people yeah. could put other people's attitudes seeing like the way you the way you respond yeah yeah, <clears throat> yeah I, I think the, the the whole point is exactly that that you're you're trying to see you're trying to just make the situation better right you're not trying to add fuel to the fire you're not trying to make make it even worse your intention is to do good so that it de-escalates that problem hopefully they'll recognize their shame and hopefully it'll change that way finally uh verse 21 do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good so again we're to constantly work on overcoming evil by doing good it kind of all falls in there so we will end there uh, and then next week we'll go on a 13 and start the government aspect to this. Um, okay. Oh, we didn't need the second page. <laughs> Worked out good. 
Okay, let me pray. Father God, we bow our hearts before you, Lord, and just so, again, so grateful and thankful that you are working in us, that you are sanctifying us, Lord. We ask that you would help us to recognize these things, go back through them, study them, know them. This is the law of Christ within us, is to do these things to believers and do these things to unbelievers and don't do the things that we used to do, but that we would live according to the new man in us, not the old man in us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.